Amen. Please be seated. As you do so, I invite you to reach for your Bibles and turn with me. Please turn to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 12. This morning we are continuing our new series where we're looking at the life of Abraham from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 36. And at this point in the story, we'll note that he is still called Abram. That, that name change won't come for a few weeks still. But as we think back to last week when we started this series, at, at this point in chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, Abram has been called by God. He has been told to leave his land, to leave his family, to leave the house of his father, and to go to the place the Lord has prepared for him. And by doing so, he will be blessed. His family will be blessed. His generations will be blessed. And he goes so far as to say that the world, because of him and his descendants, would be blessed. And we, we leave um, verses 1 through 10 with a great sense of encouragement. Because he leaves. He follows. He obeys. He goes. Not only does he go, his wife goes with him. His nephew goes with him, and a group of followers from Haran join them on this journey to the place that the Lord would reveal, that the Lord would provide for them. And it's easy to, to, to end on a high note in verses 1 through 10, um, but the beauty of preaching through the Scripture as we do, uh, as we find out in verse 11, all of this is immediately put to the test. All of the, the, the faith and the encouragement and the belief and the trust that we saw demonstrated in verses 1 through 10 gets put to the test in 11 through 20. And what we will answer this morning, um, a few questions. Will Abram continue to display a mighty trust in the Lord? Will Abram cling to God when times get tough? Or will he rely on his own wisdom? It is easy to have faith and be full of faith when things are going well, isn't it? But it's much more difficult when there are storms around us. But if you really don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. The God that is with His people during times of feasting is also the God who is with His people during times of famine. This is the lesson we will see over the course of these 10 verses. And it rings true still in our own lives today. The God that is present when things are going well is the same God that is present when difficulties arise. This will be important for the life of Abram and Sarai and continues to be important for you and for me. So with that being said, I do invite you to look with me. Genesis chapter 12, this morning I'll read our passage. Um, I want to start in verse 10 and then read to the end of the chapter. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to, to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you. 
and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Would you please go with me to the Lord as we ask his blessing upon this time? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have heard your word this day. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts that we might receive it now. Hearing we might hear and seeing we might see that these truths may transform our lives. Lord, I don't know anyone here today that has not gone through a season of spiritual famine or spiritual difficulty or challenges related to their faith and professing their faith. For to be in Christ means to struggle in these ways. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged, we would be challenged, and we would be convicted by this passage today. Would you use it for the sake of your people, that you would continue to transform us more and more into your image, to make us a holy people unto you. Father, I pray for this time. Pray for strength to proclaim your word faithfully. And I pray for boldness as you give me the opportunity now to render its truths for my heart, and for your people. I pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. When I think of faith and, and the various challenges related to it, you know, my mind goes to one place. One place in particular always sticks out, and that is the brother of Jesus, James. Maybe it, it's because it's, it's my name, but I often, when I think about trials, struggle, hardship, difficulty, when I think of testing, his words come to mind. James says it well in, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James understood it all too well that our faith grows through testing. In fact, he goes so far to say it's a blessing from God when trials come into your life, for they refine you into the people that God have called you to be. This is to be appreciated it's to be much appreciated. Consider who's giving us these words. It's the brother of Jesus. If there was anyone that could understand and appreciate the trials that come in our lives, 
particularly due to family, it would be James. And yet he encourages us that trials will perfect us and trials will provide that which we are lacking, which causes us to admit we are lacking. They help us grow as they teach us more about our Lord and more about ourselves. This is not a new concept for James. He's not teaching something novel. In fact, this is the same lesson that we see all throughout the Old Testament, and particularly we see it this morning in the life of Abram. By the time we get to these verses, there are a couple of tests before them. A couple of tests to reveal their character, to reveal their nature, to, to practice that faith that they have proclaimed in the first verses of this chapter. And we're going to see two of those tests this morning. And in verse 10, there's going to be a famine. A famine in the land that will test God's promise to Abram to provide for him. And then we see another test or series of tests in 11 to 15. That promise of hope and of life and of blessing and of prosperity. That will come through fear. And then in verses 16 to 26, really the climax of this passage, God's truth remains. God's truth remains, even when our faith is proven to be weak, when we are proven to fail the tests. And so as we consider each of these sections this morning, there's famine, there's fear, there's God's truth. Consider that God tests us in the same ways. God challenges us to obey, to follow Him, to listen to His Word, to lean on Him. And that's what we'll be talking about in these three sections. Let's begin by considering the famine in the land. We don't have to wait long to see this trial come before them. And, and let me just say this, I, I probably should have said this earlier, um, testing and tempting are two different things. I want to be very clear here. Um, when I say that the Lord will put us to the test, that's not the same as the Lord tempting us to sin. In fact, that's a heretical statement. God would never tempt us to sin because God hates sin. Rather, God often tests us, giving us the opportunity to display faith and to grow in it. So it's, a, it's an opportunity to respond positively. It's not a, not a will they fall in this way. If we choose to sin in these circumstances, we are completely liable, not God. And we have to be very careful with that. Um, in fact, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 5, paragraph 4, explicitly addresses this, that God um, cannot tempt us to sin. Um, he's not the author of sin. Um, he hates sin, and so he wouldn't do that to us. Um, he wouldn't tempt us. Yes, tempt and trial, they're, they're very similar words. So I'm, I'm trying to be very careful with how I'm stating things here. Um, but this is simply just a confirmation of Scripture. If you want to look at this carefully from pa uh, passages of Scripture, Psalm 50, 21, James 1, 13 and 14. If you flipped to James to, to read that, um, or to follow along with me, just look down to verses 13 and 14. You can also look at verse 17 in James 1. And then you can also look at 1 John 2.16. All of these passages confirm that, that God will not tempt us to sin. 
And so we want to be very careful here. And, and forgive me if I, 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 I use the word. Tempt and trial, again, are very similar words. And so if I misuse them from here forward, I apologize. But just know that I'm, I'm meaning the testing of Abraham is the testing for him to obey. It, it's not a testing to sin. And so let's, let's see how this famine was a testing, was a period of testing. There was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And remember in Scripture, a lot of times they'll emphasize things by repetition. And we have twice in this verse, verse 10, um, this idea of famine in the land repeated. At the beginning and the end, it makes kind of bookends, if you will. And it goes so far, the second reference is there was a severe famine in the land. And this particular land that we're talking about is the land of Canaan. This is the land that God told Abram that his ancestors would possess, um, being part of the promised land. And, and often in Scripture, it's fertile. If you look at Exodus chapter 3, if you look at Numbers chapter 13, Canaan is often talked of as a, a lush place, a, a place of growth and fertility, a, a place where there is water. Um, elsewhere in Scripture, is talked about as the land of milk and honey. Um, it is a wonderful place to be. But here in this season, there's famine, there's drought, there's a lack of those things. So this place that had, now has not. And that would, it would be important at this point um, maybe I've not convinced you that this is a testing of Abram's faith. Maybe, maybe you're not convinced of that, and so we need to address that. And also, along those lines, maybe um, you find yourself saying, well, wasn't he smart in going to Egypt? Like, isn't that the logical conclusion here? There's a famine, you go where the food is. Um, and I want to make the case uh, that that was a lacking of faith. And so I want to address both of those questions if you will, as we, we think about the significance of this famine. And so one, how is this a testing of Abram's faith? And the, the answer, it was a testing of Abram's faith because he was hungry. When there's a famine, there's a lacking of food. And so we can easily deal with this one. Are you more likely to rely upon God when you have plenty or when resources are scarce. I, I forget which theologian I, I got this from. It, it was probably Sinclair Ferguson or Derek Thomas. Um, and, and, and Jim alluded to it earlier. He's talking about the significance of the Lord's Prayer. But there's a line in there, give us this day our daily bread. How many of us really feel the need to offer that, if we're honest? How, how many of us Find ourselves going, Lord, give me this day my daily bread or I will not eat. Again, I, I can make this, this point very easily. Say I, I go home after church and the power has been out at my house. Worst of all, for some bizarre reason, it's the only way it makes the story work, all the food in the fridge has gone bad. And so it's been out for, I guess it's been about a week uh, for this story to work. So for some reason, we go home after church, and the power's out, and the food's gone bad in the fridge. What would we do? We'd go to the deep freeze. As long as you keep it shut, you should be set. We'd fire up the grill. I've got enough charcoal briquettes. I check that daily. We would cook something on the grill. We'd be set. Well, let's say that's not working out for us. There's nothing in the freezer. 
well, I'd go to some of the dried goods, you know, those cans of things that you don't really like and you don't really want to use. And I could probably put together some, you know, Brunswick stew or something from the various beans and things like that. It wouldn't be my favorite meal, but I could put that on a pot and again, put it on my grill or use the abundance of sticks in my yard and I could light a fire. Um, or, okay, let's be honest here. Um, I would most likely run to one of the 20 restaurants between here and my house in a three-mile strip. Or maybe I'd go to one of the five gas or uh, grocery stores between here and there. The, the reality of it is I'm not going to starve today. I, I, I don't go hungry. I don't miss meals. And so when I pray, Lord, give me this day my daily bread, I don't often appreciate that because I know in my own mind that I am able to solve my problem. And did you hear it there? Unfortunately, that's how a lot of us think, isn't it? I am able to solve my problem, therefore it is not a problem. But we fail to recognize that if the Lord does not provide, we will not have these things. While I can place emphasis on myself in that scenario, all of those things can be taken from me. A house fire could burn down all that I have, including my grill and my pantry and my deep freeze. We could run out of gas on the way home. Our car could be stolen in the parking lot. Again, um, and I, I love bringing this up repeatedly, but when I severed my patellar tendon a couple of years ago and lost the functionality of my right leg, one, I could not drive, and two, I couldn't move. The leg didn't function. If people did not bring me food, I did not eat. It, all it takes is, is one injury, one, one bizarre accident, and all of a sudden you realize how dependent you can be and how needy you are. And so I absolutely believe in the life of Abram, this was a testing of his faith. Because he couldn't go to the grocery store. He didn't have a deep freeze of food. He didn't have a pantry of food he didn't want to eat, but that was there. That was full of nutrition. He was in a, a land away from his family, away from his home. At this point, he doesn't have a lot of possessions. He doesn't have a lot of wealth that comes later in this chapter. And so there's a famine in the land. This most definitely would have tested his faith. And now, so to the second question, was it so bad that he went to Egypt? If this is a test of his faith, if this is an opportunity to, to show his trust in the Lord, well, wasn't he wise? Didn't he show prudence by going to Egypt? Scholars, honestly, are a little debated on this. Um, but let me offer the, the three most compelling reasons that, no, he did not display faith in this circumstance. It was bad that he went to Egypt for three reasons. One, God could have provided food in Canaan. How do I know that? Well, in a lot of ways, this passage is foretelling what's going to happen to Israel and Egypt. This is a microcosm of Exodus, the book of Exodus. It's very, very similar. You see parallels all over the place. And what happens in the wilderness? We're hungry, God. We had it better in Egypt. We were starving out here. Things were better when we were slaves. And God makes bread fall from heaven. What a glorious day. How awesome is that? How cool. Bread from heaven. And then they get bored with that. I mean, the, the, the bizarreness of that would have been enough to keep me entertained for a while. Like, God, you just made bread up here. So then he sends birds. And then they complain about that, and then he sends them more and more birds till it comes out their noses. But that, that's beside the point. You know, God has the ability to provide in miraculous ways. We're thirsty, strike the rock, water comes out. God has the ability to provide in, in, in ways that we cannot 
understand. And so even though there's a famine, it was a sign of weak faith that Abram goes, well, God can't deal with us here, so he have to provide for us in Egypt. And so, secondly, God brought Abram to Canaan. God said, here, I will, I will lead you to the place that I want for you. He said, come here, and said, this is where your ancestors will possess. There's never mention that God says, now go to Egypt. It's never brought up in the text that God tells him to leave. And so, he Earlier was told, follow the Lord, go to the place that I'll show you, and he went, and now he's just wandering off on his own. And so that can show a lacking of faith. And then the, 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 the third reason, and this is the most compelling reason that, that this shows a weak faith of Abram, what happens when he gets to Egypt? Now temptation comes. Not just trials, trials being an opportunity to display your faith, but temptation, temptation to sin. Negative consequences pile on top of Abram as soon as he gets to Egypt because of his own actions. And so this man of faith, this man we uphold, all of a sudden finds himself in a negative situation because he's not where God told him to be. And what does that do for him? That causes him to be led by fear. And we see that in our next section. Actions have consequences. Due to his own decisions, Abram is placed at a crossroad. Either trust in God in spite of challenging circumstances after not being where he told you to be, or give in to fear and act sinfully. And what does he do? He acts in fear. And it's important to, to, to admit something here. Um, I, I won't read this section for you um, just because of its length again. But we have to admit a few things. One. Technically, Abram was telling the truth. Sarai was his sister. Same, same father, different mothers. Technically, she was his sister. So he did not lie. Say that you're my sister. That was technically the truth. Now, some of the most damaging sins are those that are closest to the truth. We've talked about that multiple, multiple times in the past. And it's also important to admit that Abram was right. Abram said, Sarai, you are so beautiful that the Egyptians are going to say, you are so beautiful, and they are going to want you for themselves. Now, and, and that wasn't, and I'll be careful here, I don't want to get us in trouble, um, but us husbands, we think our wives are the most beautiful person in the world, and rightly so, and they are to us, and that is true. But when a pagan nation, when you take that wife to a pagan nation full of unbelieving people and they meet your wife and go, that's the most beautiful person in the world, that tells you there's, there's an external beauty there that can't be matched by our own words. Now, that's neither positive or negative, depending on how they react to it. But just know that when Abram says she is so beautiful that this pagan nation is going to see her and say she's so beautiful, it was true. We know that because of what happens next. He goes, you're going to be beautiful to them, they're going to want you. And what happened? She was beautiful to them, and they wanted her. Thirdly, there's a fear that they will get rid of him to get to her. And this likely was a cultural issue. This likely came from practices that were being done in this area during this time. 
And so while this is not explicitly stated, there is a fear that, um, that the Egyptians would get him out of the way to get to her. Uh, there, there's um, strong evidence from a cultural perspective that this was a normal practice. If there's no husband, then you're not married, then you, we can have you. Um, and so he's kind of not lying. But at the same time, that's the crux of the matter, isn't it? Abram is not relying upon the Lord to keep himself safe, to provide for his family, and to watch over his wife. Rather, he saves his own self, he sells his wife for his freedom, and he fears man rather than fearing God. I hope I don't have to explain to you why that's a sin. I hope I don't have to make the case this morning for that being a sinful response to the situation. Nor could, do I think I have to explain to you why that's just bad marriage practice. <laughs> if your response in a situation is let me pawn my wife off to save myself and possibly you, we need to talk. <laughs> that I can't consider a situation other than this one here where that would even be conceivable. But we do not get to deny God when our lives are in danger. We do not get to blend in when it would prove safer. I mean, consider the countless martyrs of the faith who, if they had told but a little lie, could have saved their own lives, who could have shifted their story, who could have denied God in that moment, who could have said, no, I didn't mean that when I said that. I mean, I, I, I think of, of Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms. He's being challenged for his faith. His stack of books is put before him. And he's told, just recant. Just say you didn't mean it. Or you don't mean it anymore. And you'll be fine. Is his famous response, here I stand. Unless you can convince me by the word of God that what I have said has violated the word of God, here I stand, I can do no other. The Lord be my judge. That's the right way to respond. Wycliffe, us. Tyndale, many, many of these, these, these people of the faith, great, great people of the faith. Think of Eric Liddell. I, I, I could go on and on and on. Um, I, I don't have time. Go read Fox's Book of Martyrs um, to talk about the people that, that said in the face of a trial, I would rather die than sin. Abram, that's not the case. He was convinced that the best path forward, despite God's promise to provide for him, was to lie. And just so happens his, his worst fears came true. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. He took a gamble, and he lost. <laughs> he lost because she was beautiful from a worldly perspective. She was to be desired. At this point, so much so that she was to be desired by the highest in the land, the most powerful, the one who could offer an execution of Abram, the one who could snap his fingers and it took place by Pharaoh himself. All of this could have been avoided had Abram simply trusted the Lord. I, I have a hard time believing that it was better for Abram in Egypt than it would have been for him in Canaan. God's, oh, excuse me, um, sentence went between two pages. God's work and God's plan of salvation 
is not deterred. It's not set back. It's not put astray by trials. It, it is not surprised by difficulties. In fact, it anticipates it and plans on it. We are sinners. And if that's new to you this morning, it is true. It is true for you. You are a sinner. You are a sinner, and you are a sinner unable to fulfill God's commands for your life. You, you cannot do it by thought, word, deed, or action. And yet. And yet. Or to put it differently, one of the most powerful scriptural words, but. But God. But God. I hope by this point we have we, we rode the high last week of Abram. I hope we've brought him back down to where he needs to be. Oh wait, he is a sinner too. He is a failure. He has not loved his wife rightly. He has not loved his Lord rightly. He's put his life in danger. He has put her life in danger. His faith has been shaken. But God. But God. But God being rich in mercy. God provides. God provides despite Abram. And that's, that's what we see in our final section. And, and this becomes this beautiful picture of the gospel. The man that the Bible upholds as a great father of faith falters. He's pawned off his wife to save himself. But despite Abram's lack of faith, God remains faithful. God remains faithful. And we see this in, in a few ways in, in this final section. First, he gains riches in Egypt. Riches in Egypt. I said it, it couldn't be better for him in Egypt than it was in Canaan, but it was. For her sake, he dealt well with Abram. He had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And if you don't understand the, the, the amount of significance of wealth there, um, there's actually debate in the commentaries on why camels were given as gifts at this point because either they weren't commonly being bred or they were so precious of a gift that they weren't given away if you had them. So if you want some deep reading today or this week, go read on, on camel breeding practices in um, ancient Egypt and, and their use in gift giving. But he was rich in the season in this situation, despite putting his wife in a bad situation, the Lord blessed Abram with great wealth. How great a wealth? Well, Lord willing, when we get to the next chapter, he's got so much wealth, he has to split from his nephew because they have two, um, their livestock is so great it can't graze on the same land. They have to point in opposite directions. We'll, we'll read it in, in chapter 13. If you say go right, I'll go left. Because they have so much wealth, so much possession, so many animals that they can't, they're eating up the fields. And we want to be careful here while I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help us bring Abram low. We don't want to, to have the mindset that this was his plan all along, that this was some ruse to gain riches. Um, in fact, Matthew Henry rebukes this um, very strongly. Um, this could not have been the case, this could not have been what Abram was after. We must see this, that Abram was concerned for his life. He merely wanted salvation, not enrichment. And yet, through the Lord's provision, his wealth increased greatly. Now, most likely, that was a bridal price. 
But the Lord doesn't stop there. And so the Lord blesses him. The Lord blesses him in spite of this bad situation and wealth. The Lord also blesses him in protecting his wife. The Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Again, hearkening to the days of, of Egypt, um, we, we see a precursor there that the, the, the God of the Bible, that Yahweh plagues the land um, for the sake of his righteousness. And God here is preventing Pharaoh from committing the greater sin of adultery. Now, again, if you want some deep reading this week, there is debate in commentaries on did Pharaoh sleep with Sarai? He took her as his wife, he would have had many, but did she get her night with the king? I would argue no. I would argue no, he did not. I believe that it was a great mercy that the Lord afflicted Pharaoh with these plagues to prevent him from sinning in that way, which is a mercy both to Pharaoh and to Abram, which is exactly what Abram deserved. You sell your wife off as a free woman, you shouldn't be surprised when she's given to other men or man. God is preventing his wife, Abram's wife, from being defiled by Pharaoh. Now, again, I want to be very clear here. Even though Pharaoh did not know that what he did was wrong, he would have been liable for sin had he engaged in it. If he had slept with her, not knowing that she was married, he would be liable for that sin. Ignorance of the law does not excuse us when we violate its commands. That's why we need to be very careful with our actions, that we need to know what God says and know what is the truth. And I think that God is providing him a mercy here. He's preventing him from sinning in that way. So that's the second way the Lord has blessed him in this. But, oh, the, the divine irony here, and my time is so short. The greatest act of blessing here is the rebuke from the pagan king. Listen to this. Don't, don't miss this. Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you tell me, not tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders. They sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So the pagan was at risk of acting in sin. And the pagan calls the faithful to repentance. The pagan speaks when the faithful is silent. The pagan demonstrates obedience to God when the one who knows and worships Yahweh demonstrates a lack of faith. And that's the greatest act of mercy in this whole passage. God uses a sinful man to call a sinful man to repentance. God uses Pharaoh to bless Abram despite his sin and to rescue Sarai through the actions of the one who took her. God took a less than ideal situation from a humanly perspective and used it for his own purposes. And so in, in, in closing, I just, I just really want to impress the significance of this passage on you this morning. Abram is not faithful. He does not act like a father of nations that God called him to be in the first nine verses. He does not trust God like he did in the earlier section. But at the same time, he is not faithful, but God is. God upholds his promises to Abram. It would have been quite difficult for Abram to have children and to bless nations after him if he had no wife. 
Think about that from a technical standpoint. You cannot procreate if you don't have someone to procreate with. And so he sells his wife and God gives her back. Like, I'm not done with her yet. He needs wealth, possessions, to be a father of nations, to be able to support families. And so God says here, let's plunder the Egyptians. Let's take from them this pagan nation. He needs faith to be faithful. And so God puts him in a circumstance where your faith is going to falter and you're going to suffer for it. Now, to be fair, he didn't learn his lesson because we're going to repeat this story in about 10 chapters. We're going to do the same thing again. But we like to think he grows a little bit between the times. The Lord took this opportunity to bless Abram despite his unbelief. Now, this is not to celebrate sinful action. We should not sin looking to gain from it. Rather, what we should walk away from this passage with is when we sin and when we are forgiven, we should praise God all the more. We should look to the rescue of Abram and Sarai during their time of Egypt, in Egypt and praise God. God does the same thing for you and me every single day. He rescues us from our sin. When we aren't faithful, He remains faithful. When we aren't true, He remains true. When we don't keep our promises, He keeps His promises. And And to that end, we praise God that He is faithful, even when we fall and are faithless. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we admit this is a weighty passage. Some of these things are difficult to talk about and to think about. And yet, Lord, the big picture here is very clear. You are a faithful God. You are faithful to your promises. You promised Abram and Sarai that they would be the parents of a mighty nation, that they would be a blessing to those that come after them, so much so that the, all of the earth would be blessed. And so despite the fact that they failed their time of testing, they entered into a time of temptation, they fell into sin, you rescued them, you called them out of their sin, you brought them to yourself as you are quick to do with your people. Lord, would we confess this morning we are much like Abram and Sarai. We chase after sin. We follow our own means. We, we look for ways that we can solve our own problems and display a great lack of faith in you. Lord, would you lovingly bring us back each and every time. You are the good shepherd. We love you for the rod and for the staff. And sometimes those things are used for correction, for drawing us back, for bringing us into the fold. And we praise you for that. Lord, would we rest upon you and you alone? Would we rest upon what you have done for us, particularly through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Lord, would we praise you for the story of Abram and Sarai and how it reveals to us that you continue to use sinful people to accomplish your means, which is your glory and the blessing of a particular people, a chosen nation. We pray all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.